Welcome, everybody. We are streaming live on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, today's program is going to be very news-oriented. Jesus Christ commands us in Mark chapter 13 and Matthew, a number of places, to watch. We're commanded to watch. Uh, there's a lot going on in the world, and one of the goals that we have uh, on the TW Now program is to keep you apprised of what's going on in the world from the biblical, accurate biblical perspective. Today's program is titled Wars and Rumors of Wars. Uh, on the brink, on the brink. Is the world on the brink? Uh, the TW Now program is supposed to bring you news, prophecy, and conversation about your life. Big questions, real answers. That is our tagline. So hopefully we'll live up to that and do a good job with that today. I want to introduce my friends and fellow ministers here, Dr. Scott Winnell and Mr. Mike DeSimone. Uh, we all work uh, in Charlotte in a number of different capacities at the church headquarters, the Living Church of God headquarters. And uh, Mr. DeSimone, Dr. Scott Winnell, and I, you've seen us all before on the program. So welcome, everybody. TW Now, uh, we'd like you to share the link on Facebook and on YouTube, if you would. We really appreciate that. <clears throat> I want to also mention that uh, this coming weekend, this coming Saturday, is an important day. Uh, so Saturday is the seventh-day Sabbath, but uh, we're coming up on Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, as well. So I want to mention that to, uh, to everyone, all of our friends out there, and uh, remind everybody about that. Of course, that uh, is one of the fall holy days and uh, leads us up to the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles. If you, these terms are uh, interesting to you or you're curious uh, what these terms are about, go to the website tomorrowsworld.org and type in uh, those terms and you can learn a little bit more about God's holy days. God's holy days reveal what God is doing uh, with the world regarding uh, end-time prophecy. And let's jump into the program because today's program is about prophecy, news and prophecy. Uh, topic number one, topic number one, can the UN save the world? Uh, can the UN save the world? Kind of a big question. I have an article from the, um, <clears throat> let me check my notes here. It is a, oh, actually this is from the, the UN website, UN.org, uh, UN.org UN website. And I want to begin with this. Uh, the UN recently met and uh, the article uh, says the following. So this is from September 18, 2017. More than 120 countries today declared their support for a series of reforms aimed at overhauling the United Nations bureaucracy to make the world body stronger and more responsive to the people it serves. Uh, noble, noble goals. I have no problem with that. <clears throat> Dropping down a few paragraphs in the article, five or six paragraphs down, uh, it says the UN has also prioritized ending sexual exploitation and abuse. Uh, that is uh, a real travesty, what, what's happening around the world with um, uh, human trafficking and things like that. So the UN uh, has some noble ambitions. It, they have some noble ambitions, some, some good goals. I was able to go to the UN uh, headquarters once and enjoyed touring, and, and I think a lot of the people there, you know, they're, they're well-intended. So we're going to start big picture and talk a little bit about the UN and ask, can the UN bring lasting peace to the nations? And I think, you know, we're, we're going to probably say, no, it can't, but we're going to drill into that. And, and I specifically want to get into some world events that are occurring and ask, are world events starting to spiral beyond the ability of the UN and other organizations to deal with those world events. Hmm. You know, even if everybody was well-intended and there's no corruption, are world events getting to a point where humanly they're spiraling out of our control? I think, uh, first of all, you know, the, the UN has certainly does, and, I, you know, we can appreciate the noble goals that it does have. Um, it's something that... Uh, the world feels like it needs and in fact you know where would the world be if it didn't have the UN you know that's a question uh, you know uh, we don't know the answer to exactly but you would only think that it would be better because the UN is there the question is is it is it going to fix all the problems is it going to be the solution um, and like you said is the world spiraling out of control to a point that that is a a powerful question that is a powerful question. Interesting. Has the, has 
have world events exceeded the UN's capacity to deal with them? I would pose a question back and say, did the UN ever have the capacity to deal with mm -hmm. world events? You know, when you read the UN Charter, you see that some of the major priorities of the United Nations are to help bring about world peace, to help nations around the world work together. Um, on some level, I think you could argue that that's happened, but uh, interesting quote, this is from a Guardian article two years ago commemorating the 70th anniversary of the United Nations. And it says it was Dag Hammarskjöld, uh, the tragic second UN Secretary General, who said it best. The United Nations, he said, was created not to lead mankind to heaven, but to save humanity from hell. A very realistic perspective. We're not going to save the world. We're frankly not even going to bring peace. We're just hopefully going to hold things together and prevent everything from falling apart. So his very realistic perspective, even from almost the inception of the UN, was we're not going to bring peace to right. the world. It's not going to be the solution. It just isn't. Um, um, Stoltenberg in the... Um, uh, actually, a fellow, David Shearer, who uh, helped with the organization uh, from the, actually that, that same article says, um, he says, like everybody says, if you didn't have the UN, you'd have to invent it. There's right. a feel of a need for it. There's a feel of that, that something's missing without it, but it is not going to be the solution. And is the, the world uh, getting out of control? You know, I, I, I think about uh, there's a CNN article um, about uh, Kim Jong-un begging for war September 4th uh, this year. And uh, Nikki Haley, when she addressed the, uh, the UN there, she says, enough is enough. We've taken an incremental approach, and despite the best of intentions, it hasn't worked. And she went on, and the article shows she went on uh, by uh, ticking through all of the resolutions the Security Council has passed in response to North Korea's provocations over the past two decades plus. So not working. North Korea has only uh, gotten worse. They've only continued to test. They've only continued to develop their weapons. We have some, uh, some really uh, sobering news items that we're going to cover. Uh, and I do want to say hello to people that are already joining in from Milwaukee and Canada and uh, here in Charlotte to different places around the world. So thank you for joining us. We're already getting comments on Facebook. Do want to encourage people to make comments on Facebook, ask questions, and uh, make comments on YouTube as well. As a matter of fact, one of the uh, items that I'll mention later in the, in the program was uh, mentioned to me by somebody uh, who comments on our Facebook and YouTube pages, and it was a really good, insightful thought, and, and I've been thinking and praying about it, and I thought, you know, they've really got a good point. So maybe later in the program, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll mention that and uh, give credit to, uh, to the person. I think one thing that I, I, I want to throw in there, we were talking before the program about some of the scriptures that apply, and before we get into maybe some of the, some of the prophecy and some of the, the, uh, the, the scriptures or some of the news about the, the, the national issues, you know, we've got, what does it say in Jeremiah? It says that the heart is deceitful, desperately wicked, and I think that's one of the problems that we have, whether it's uh, the UN or some other body, uh, whether it's the leadership of North Korea, the leadership of any country, is that without God's Holy Spirit, without God really ruling in the hearts and minds of every one of us, uh, you know, the, 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 there's a mixture of good and evil with, with, with people's hearts. And another uh, verse, I'll just mention one other one, is uh, Proverbs 21, verse 2. It, that might be worth some of our some of our uh, audience looking that up, but it, it essentially says that, you know, people's ideas seem right to them. You know, people's ideas seem right to them. So you, you have these, these people who maybe have good intentions that want to use the United Nations to help try to prevent this or that or whatever, but are they able to really execute in a, in a, in a righteous way, or are they motivated, no matter how well-intended, is there still some motivation there that's not entirely perfect? Uh, we, we know not aligned with God's law, but do we still have desperate uh, or desperately wicked hearts that we're dealing with? I mean, we were talking a little bit about some of the, the, the failures of the UN. Uh, did you want to make a comment on that, well, Scott? Well, I mean, you, you read what's been in the popular press, you watch the UN operate, and again, we've got to be careful not knocking the efforts of people right. who are... In, in many cases, trying to do well. At the same time, 
when you bring so many nations together that have such diverse value systems, definitely diverse religious backgrounds, and, and when within those diverse religions there are different values, different ethics, different ways of dealing with people. <clears throat> but you've got a UN that has been characterized as playing favorites, a shameful den of dictatorships, a bloated bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of red tape is what they've said just to absolutely. do anything. right? Run by actually just a few. When we look at what right. happens in the Security Council, you've got just almost a handful of nations there that are really deciding what's going to happen militarily for, for 100 and, and what is it, 170 nations, 140 mm -hmm. nations that Which, are Which, you know, the, the poorer nations of, of, of that unity, they complain about the rich are the ones running it, the richer countries that they run the whole thing. You know, we, we, we see those scriptures, um, Isaiah 59, 8, the way of peace they do not know, there is no justice, as you mentioned, in their paths. Jeremiah 6, 14, they say peace, peace, when there is no peace. But how do you bring peace? How, how do you bring justice? You've got to have a, a common ethical system. You've got to have a common righteous set of laws. Mm -hmm. uh, they've got a charter. But again, that seems to be up for debate in terms of what's right and what's not. The, uh, the UN Charter was put in place in 1945, and I think as you were mentioning, Dr. Scott, we, we don't want to uh, be too hard on the United Nations. I, I, I personally, I'm a fan of what their ambitions are, what they're trying to do. Uh, and I'm a fan of probably the majority of what they actually are able to do. But there is corruption, uh, at least to some extent. And more than that, I think there's, there's the question of no matter how well intended, do they have the capacity, do they have the capacity to really uh, put in place peace, prosperity. The charter is, is a wonderful charter. I'm, I'm looking at the principles, the purpose and principles uh, right now online, and anybody can go to un.org and, and look at it, but it begins with to maintain international peace and security. Well, that's, that's wonderful. Sure. You know, I, I've often mentioned that, that there will be United Nations. It, it, it's just that it'll be in the kingdom of God, and Christ will be in charge, and, and then we will have international peace and security. It will take a changing of heart. Is what I think that's take. the key, a, a changing, changing of, of heart. heart. That's what it will take. I think uh, about Ro um, James 4, it says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members. And, you know, James is not necessarily talking about nations here. He's talking uh, a little bit differently, but this can be applied to nations. It's about people and what's in the heart. That's right. So the capacity, whether or not they have the military power, the military might, the, the money to do it, that's, that is not going to be the answer. The answer is in the heart and God's laws. That's the only way that this, that it could be fixed. It's the only way. Do we, uh, even if we had the perfect heart, which we, we, you know, mankind doesn't, right. uh, let's talk about the capacity or the lack of capacity uh, in, in the face of these macro issues. Let's talk about big picture global news uh, that is happening and occurring right now that, frankly, the UN is, is, is not equipped to be able to deal with. I do want to say hello to people from uh, Utah, Ogden, and Mississauga, and uh, New Brunswick, and uh, Mississippi, Ohio, all, all over. There's an article I'm holding in my hand from The Guardian, and uh, this is just from a, a couple weeks ago, Friday, September the 8th. A very sobering article. For those of you who are uh, parents, I think if you have kids or grandkids, uh, these are some things that, that concern parents, because the world we live in is a dangerous world, and, and, and in, in most ways, by most measurements, it's getting worse. Now, once in a while, violent crime will be up or down a little bit, but generally the world is getting more dangerous. This article by, from The Guardian, NATO chief, world is at its most dangerous point in a generation. A couple uh, quotes from here, and then we can talk maybe a little bit about some prophetic, uh, what's happening you know, behind the scenes prophetically. Uh, <clears throat> the world is more dangerous today. This is a quote from the article. The world is more dangerous today than it has been in a generation, the head of NATO has said. Now, this is the head of NATO. I mean, he should know what he's talking about, right? This isn't just like, you know, my, my, my uncle, you know, right. Frank, who's just like, well, I think the world's getting bad. I mean, this is the head of NATO. Right. Uh, days before the mobilization of an estimated 
100,000 Russian troops on the EU's eastern borders. Now, we're not saying that Russia's invading right now, although, of course, they did a few years ago, invaded Ukraine. Um, but 100,000 troops that are taking part in these war games or war training. Uh, you know, fundamentally, we should ask a question. Why, why do the superpowers have to conduct these, uh, these massive military exercises in the first place? If we all believed in a way of peace, why would, you, why would we be spending millions of dollars to conduct these exercises? Uh, so anyways, the article continues. And as a nuclear crisis grows on the Korean peninsula, mm-hmm. you know, what if, what if North Korea launches a hydrogen bomb? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it could change uh, society. I mean, you could knock out a chunk of, of the U.S. Gr- electric grid or Europe. A couple of paragraphs down. Asked in a Guardian interview whether he had known a more dangerous time in his 30-year career, uh, Stoltenberg said it is more unpredictable and it's more difficult because we have so many challenges at the same time. Uh, let's talk about not so much maybe the capacity, we've touched on that, but let's talk a little bit about what is happening and, and what does the Bible say will happen prophetically um, <clears throat> regarding nations at the end of the age? Uh, what do we see, um, you know, America's role being in the future, the UN's role? Uh, what do we see happening with with Europe and Russia? Uh, let's just let's let's take some have have a big picture conversation. Uh, but are geopolitics moving in a way where you know they'll soon spiral out of control? Sure. One, one thing that uh, certainly Daniel eleven talks about the king of the north and the king of the south, and those two. Uh, coming to heads against one another. And largely the king of the north will be, as we understand it, the, the European uh, Union, the, the European um, uh, unit there. And the king of the south being a confederation of nations that are together, that are largely Islam, Islamic in nature. And uh, those two, it, it certainly talks about. Uh, United States, if you read our United States and Britain and Prophecy booklet, helps understand, uh, helps under, gives, give understanding of what will happen with the U.S. The U.S. will be um, really taken over by Europe at some point. It won't be a part of that, um, uh, con- the conflicts in that way. Mr. Soselka, you mentioned about uh, will things spiral out of control. I think, to me, one of the things that Bible prophecy helps me with is having a level of peace Mm. and knowing that things technically won't spiral out of control because there is a sovereign God who not only is ultimately in control, but he has prophesied these events that will take place according on some level to his plan. He knows human nature. He designed us as human beings. He knows Satan the devil, who is our adversary, who the Bible calls the God of this world. He knows what Satan is trying to do and trying to strategize with. So when we see things on a world scale, uh, God does give us some insight, and we can have some take some comfort, I think. I do take comfort in the fact that things are going to happen in a certain way, and God already said it will happen, which means if he's right about the negative things, the wars and the rumors of wars, as he says in Matthew 24, uh, verse 6, uh, he says, Be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, and the end is not yet. So these things are prophesied, yet if the negative things come to pass, the positive things that he prophesies will as well, following you know, this negative onslaught. Yeah, uh, you know, you, you mentioned about uh, the parents and being concerned about their children and what type of world we're living in. Uh, Dr. Winnell, you bring up a very good point about understanding. That prophecy gives us the understanding of what's going to happen. We know that there's going the the end will, uh, the world is not going to end, basically, and that all humanity is not going to be wiped out. Um, also, uh, the holy days, they give us an understanding. We just kept the Feast of Trumpets. It's the Feast of Trumpets where the, the world they won't understand what's happening. The world will not understand what's happening, the horrible things that are going to be coming. Yet through the biblical holy days, God lays out the plan of what is going to happen and helps us to understand that, helps us to know that, and not be in the dark and 
scared. Yeah, in fact, Daniel, um, in Daniel chapter 2, talks about some of these end-time prophecies and, and this vision that he has, and he's told that the dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. We can count on that, and that can be a comforting thing. Now, uh, back to the topic of the, or the holy days. You mentioned the holy days. Uh, we've mentioned on this program many times that Satan is currently the, the, the one who is influencing so much in the world, so much of the evil. I mentioned in the introduction the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, which is coming up in just a few days. Maybe one of you gentlemen could mention briefly what Yom Kippur pictures in God's plan, and, and how will that, uh, how, how does that step uh, help move God's plan forward toward a time of peace, where Satan's no longer part of the picture. Uh, Scott, you want to maybe jump in there first? Sure, I'd be happy to. And I, again, I, I push you to our, our literature. We've got a booklet on the Holy Days that you can uh, search on the web, and it will give you basically an outline. But what we know and understand about the annual Holy Days is they put together really a sequential pattern for the plan of God. And as Mr. DeSimone was talking about, uh, Feast of Trumpets really pictures the final year before Jesus Christ returns to the earth and what the incredible climactic events are going to be. Many of them negative, many of them war-torn, yet the return of Christ is also involved there at the seventh trump. The Day of Atonement follows nine days later. And one of the things that the day, major things the Day of Atonement pictures actually is the removal of the God of this world, the binding of him, Revelation 20 verses 1 through 3. He will be bound, his demons will be bound with him. They will, as Revelation says, deceive the nations no more. They are behind what's going on now. Uh, they are not forcing everything, but weak human beings are deceived, as Revelation 12:9 says. The whole world is deceived. I'll tell you, I want to read that uh, that uh, section of scripture. It's just inspiring. That's what the Day of Atonement pictures. Um, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. Verse uh, Revelation 20, verse one having a key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. But it pictures that putting away of Satan. What, a, what an awesome... One of the uh, news items we have here, and this uh, is a good transition into our next topic, because we have to, uh, we, we can see that it's Satan that's behind the ethnic conflict. He's behind a lot of the world's evils. But one of the things we were going to talk about briefly is, ra is racial and ethnic conflict. Uh, we, we've talked about this, this on the program before, how in Matthew 24, it talks about ethnos versus ethnos, ethnicities warring with each other. And we just got finished discussing how the Day of Atonement points towards Satan being bound and put away for a thousand years. And Satan wants to stir, stir up hatred, and one of the tools he uses is ethnic hatred. You know, we see that in, in, in schools, we see that at the local level uh, way too much, we see that at the national level. I won't spend a lot of time on this topic, but here's an article from Reuters, and just for our viewers to kind of bring their attention to, uh, to how bad, you know, uh, so, the, some of these, these issues are. This is a Reuters article from just a, a few days ago, September 13, and they're quoting the United Nations again, and United Nations uh, Secretary General Antonio Guterres on Wednesday uh, called on authorities in Myanmar to end the violence against the majority uh, Buddhist countries, Rohingya Muslims. So here we have, you know, so often we hear about Muslims that are, uh, not all Muslims, but we, we often hear about Muslims who are, you know, going on jihad or whatever, but here you have, you have the reverse, you have Buddhists who are attacking Muslims, and it's a very sad situation. Uh, he calls it catastrophic. I won't read the whole thing, but but I want to uh, make a, I want to bring everybody's attention to this, this uh, statistic. 370,000 Muslims have had to flee uh, to Bangladesh from Myanmar. I mean, that's the size of a of a decent-sized little city. Sure. You know, so what what if the whole your whole city had to flee your your friends and family? Uh, you know, who's behind that? Uh, Satan is behind that. Sure. Now, people aren't robots. They 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 they're responsible for their own actions. But let's let's sort of pursue this. <clears throat> uh, how do you gentlemen see 
prophecy revealing some of the ethnic conflict moving some of the nations or the national blocks or the superpowers to align at the end of the age. Well, one of the things for sure is the the king of the north and the king of the south again. I mean, that that is uh, going to be a part of that, and is what it talks about in, in Revelation uh, 16, uh, talks about the uh, the kings of the east as well. Daniel talks about the kings of the east. These are these are major peoples that we're talking about, peoples that will be against each other in a, in an ethnic. Now, you know, now some, I've heard some people speculate that the king of the north uh, is is different entities. Um, I've heard uh, some speculate that it's Russia. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, kind of throw you you know put you on the mm-hmm. spot here. I know I know we 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 know how to explain this, but. But what would be the problem with that from a biblical perspective? Now, Russia is north of uh, right, Jerusalem, right. so. Um, <clears throat> well, it, it, in my mind, it falls into you know the 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 beast, the beast power, and the rising up of the beast that hasn't pertained to Russia in that way, and we have we're able to pinpoint it on the Roman Empire, basically. A continuation of Roman Empire. Yep. And you also have Gog and Magog, and you got the yep. kings of the. Of the east and eth- and ethnically coming back to the ethnic kings of the north and the east, right? Daniel, <clears throat> right. I think the other thing is when we look at Bible prophecies and we look at some of those nations that form the beast and that also ally uh, for a period of time with the kings of the south. We look at Psalm uh, eighty-three. We look at Jeremiah. I believe it is uh, twenty-three. Um, we we see uh, Assyria being that major sort of connecting power. And we, we know, and we've got some articles in that that you can search on the website too on Assyria, uh, that the modern nation of Germany are, are descended from the ancient Assyrians. So it, it really is a European beast power that we're talking about. Uh, scripture also talks about, and we'll get into this, I think, this big, these kings from the east that, mm-hmm. that mount this 200 million man mm-hmm. army, Revelation 9 talks about that. And it's an army that's got to be amassed with a correct kind of an infrastructure to support it, but also from nations who have a, a vengeance against this European beast power because they're going to come against it. Uh, and there are nations that can also amass this many people sure. for an army like this. I wanted to read really quickly Matthew 24. Uh, again, this end time all of that prophecy, it says in verse 7, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And then it goes on, there'll be famines and pestilences and earthquakes. These are the beginning of sorrows. That the, the uh, Greek word for nation, nation rising against nation, is ethnos, as you talked about. It means ethnic group against ethnic group. What's interesting is in 1997, Samuel Huntington wrote a book entitled The Clash of Civilizations, in which he talked about really the, the marginalization of of nations around the earth, uh, not, not a globalization process, which right. is what the Europeans want and so many say they want today, but really a segmenting mm-hmm. of regional powers around the world based on ethnic lines in part. And so we, we see secular writers like Huntington talking about something like this, and then we look at what's happening in the world and right. we see the segmentation, and then we look at the Bible and we realize, oh, Right. End-time Bible prophecy, actually, for thousands of years, has suggested that this will happen. Right. Jesus Christ himself prophesied it. That's right. Let's pursue a little bit the, uh, the kings of the east, or the kings of the north and the kings of the east. Let's, let's talk about these eastern alliances, these eastern alliances that are forming. <clears throat> uh, there's an article from uh, just a few days ago. Let's see, this is September the 18th. And uh, this is, I believe this is a CNBC article. Uh, Russia and China join forces for Navy drills off North Korean coast. How strong is the Russian military? And uh, the article uh, discusses how Russia and China have kicked off naval drills uh, from uh, the largest Russian port in the region that borders, uh, you know, North Korea, the, the, the Pacific uh, side of, uh, of, of, the, of the Asian continent. Um, as part of this 2017 drill, China and Russia began jointly practicing naval combat in July in the Baltic Sea. The two navies kicked off the Pacific stage of the drill this week. This was a couple weeks ago, focusing on coastal combat and so forth and so forth. So what we have is 
a cooperation between Russia and China militarily. And I think we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, what's happening economically, militarily with some of these eastern uh, countries. But I guess one of my questions is, could this be a prelude to any Bible prophecies? Is there anything the Bible talks about that we can point our, our, our viewers to uh, that would indicate great eastern powers who are, uh, you know, allied, cooperating, working together. Uh, we talk a lot about the king of the north, and that's, that's we need to, but I wanted to maybe just talk a little bit about these kings of the east, these eastern alliances. Thoughts, comments on, on that? Well, certainly, uh, Revelation 9, uh, the sixth <clears throat> trumpet that is talked about here, it talks about, verse 16, uh, John, in this prophecy saw, now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million, so 200 million man force together. You know, what nation and slash nations could come up with that number, basically? That, that is a, a powerful, uh, something's got to happen for that to, in order for that prophecy to come to pass. And as we continue with that, uh, in that passage of Scripture there, and also Revelation 16 gives us more insight into what this army is going to do later on. Basically what we do is we see an army that's coming from the east, and it works its way through Asia, Central, Central Asia. It works its way all the way over to the Euphrates River on the border of Iran uh, before it finally then is able to enter the Holy Land. How do you move 200 million men? That's, that's a phenomenal, that's bigger than most nations in the world. Yeah, two-thirds of the U.S. But how do you move it? One of the things that has crushed armies, if we look at military history, one of the things that's crushed armies over, uh, uh, over a period of history is they haven't had the infrastructure to move the army. They get an army somewhere, and then they can't support it anymore, or they can't get the supplies in. So you've got to be able to not only move troops, and move uh, artillery, but you've got to be able to feed them. You have to have the, uh, the fuel supplies for the tanks and for the planes and for all of these things. How do you do that with 200 million men? What's interesting is there's some pieces in place and there's some, some pieces in motion right now that on the surface look like they're being done for military, or excuse me, for economic reasons, uh, to support economies, to build and grow economies in central parts of Asia. Uh, but they may be used by uh, these nations in the future to fulfill God's prophecies. And of course, you're talking about the, the Silk Road or the One Belt, One Road project. Uh, that China has been pushing, along with uh, whatever 60 other nations. And boy, you know, in fact, you showed a map earlier, just uh, I wish we could show that on the, the screen. But um, uh, just powerful to show the, the roads that are being built, the train uh, routes that are being built, the seaways that are, are being set up. Um, Anyways, incredible. Yeah, what's interesting about the Silk Road project, um, it's, it's backed by the, the leader of China, Xi Jinping. Uh, he's, he's met with nations, uh, leaders of 37 nations. A whole bunch of people have signed on to this. It's already in process. Uh, they're building port facilities. They are building pipelines to be able to transport oil and gas. Um, it's, it's designed and it's, it's spun in such a way that these landlocked, countries and cities in Central Asia are finally going to have a way to get things to port and, and to be reached. But we can see from Bible prophecy that these infrastructure projects can be used and very likely will be used to bring about some of these end-time prophecies that Mr. DeSimone just read about. You know, one of the things that's come up in the, in the news in regard to this is that uh, uh, there's a concern of financial uh, problem for the world, not just China. And why? Well, because as one of the professors at an institution there in China said, uh, it supports my concerns, uh, the impact could be damaging not just for China, but for the global financial system, the loans that are being taken out, the, the, the money that's being put into this, if it fails. The likelihood that it fails, we know from prophecy, that something needs to happen. So the likelihood that it fails, we, we would, it, would, it would seem, uh, it would make sense that it wouldn't fail. 
Well, when you look at the map of the Silk Road project, I think it's a misnomer, misnomer you know, road. People think it's, it's one road or one you know, rail line. But as you were both mentioning, it's a number. It's, it's ports, it's harbors, it's train uh, railways. But they're tapping into a lot of the wealth of Africa. And they're tapping into a lot of the manpower in Malaysia and Indonesia and India. And so I think that what you gentlemen are bringing out, and this is, this is right on target, is a transportation system wherein resources and people are able to move rapidly. And that will create tremendous economic wealth tremendous economic power, again, tapping into the resources of Malaysia, Indonesia, Africa, moving people back and forth. And the Silk Road Project does uh, terminate. It makes its way up into Europe, northeastern mm-hmm. Europe. Now, what's interesting, and I'm going to jump ahead you know, quite a bit prophetically, but in Daniel, I think it's 11, verse 44, is where it talks about the king of the north has come down, which we would call uh, European, uh, you know, the German-led European empire. The king of the north is attacking into the south, and in Daniel 11, verse 44, it talks about news from the north and the mm-hmm. east that troubles him, the king of the north. So news from the north and the east. Now, what we would say is that news from the north and the east, that would be those great uh, Asian powers, those great Asian powers. But for our audience, maybe we should back up a little bit and ask, how do those Asian powers become great? How do they become great? Well, one possible way that could happen is Revelation 18, talking about the beast power, talks about the trading that's going on. That, that's incredible, thinking about this Silk Road project. It says in verse 18, And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn after the destruction of this beast power, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. And it talks about the merchandise. Merchandise, verse 12 of Revelation 18, Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linens and purple and silk, <laughs> um, and scarlet, Every object of ivory and every kind of object of precious wood and bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon and incense and fragrant oil and frankincense and wine and oil and flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and horses and chariots and bodies and souls of men. So there will be powerful trading that is happening. And as we understand during this time, the United States will will not be in play in that way. It's going to be the European uh, beast power as well as largely the kings of the north and the east and and any other major players at that time. Right at the beginning of that passage, Revelation 18, verse 2, John records that the uh, the angel cries out that Babylon has fallen, has fallen. Uh, that you know that that great city that was a habitation of demons and every foul bird, and all the nations have drunk of the, the 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 wrath of the wine of her fornication. The kings have committed fornication with her. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the resources that the Silk Road is going to be able to move, the trade that the Silk Road is going to be able to move between the Asian powers and the Babylonian system, it is beyond anything that we've seen in the history of the world. And that's not an exaggeration, because you you had the United States back in the late 1800s and the early 20th century that was this tremendous uh, land of resource. And because of those resources, and because of God blessing the United States, the United States was able to prevail in two world wars. But when you compare the amount of resources that the United States had at at its disposal compared to what all of Asia and the majority of Africa, and Indonesia, and Malaysia, and Russia will have at their disposal with this huge transportation system and this alliance, then I think that that puts in perspective how Revelation 18, which you were just reading, Mr. DeSimone, uh, but you were down further in the chapter, it puts in perspective how, you know, everybody's going to be trading with Babylon. And when God finally strikes Babylon down, uh, the nations will 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 moan and groan because they had gotten wealthy trading with Babylon, with the king of the north, and the king of the north will be this superpower that will enrich itself with 
the trade from around the world. But by this point, as we know prophetically, you know, the United States has already been overtaken. And I don't know if we want to get too much into into that, but um, the United States has gone in, you know, modern Israel has gone into the, what's called the time of Jacob's trouble. So the Silk Road, uh, I think it's something worth uh, us discussing and being aware of. Again, we're told to watch these things, and I think we see the infrastructure being put in place for these prophecies to, to unfold. It's going to be interesting to watch and see yeah. how it this project unfurls, but also how Europe ends up getting involved. Uh, they're involved in the periphery right now. Five or six European nations um, have signed on to this deal to begin with, uh, but it, it will be interesting to see how they're involved in, in helping to orchestrate this, at least for a time, until they fall and then they leave a gap, and, and somehow there's going to be a rift, because these kings from the east are going to come down and, and attack the beast power at some point in time. Well, and there's the prophecy in Revelation 16, where we're, we're jumping ahead, where uh, God dries up the Euphrates so that the kings of the East can come through right. and attack the, the Middle East, and they're going to attack the beast and you know, the Middle East. So there will be a rift. So we see, we see uh, the news uh, aligning with, 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 with Bible prophecy, which should not be you know, uh, a surprise, right? <clears throat> we probably should move on a little bit, talk about Europe's agenda. Uh, uh, Jean-Claude Juncker uh, gave a State of the Union address just a couple weeks ago, and he talked about um, Europe's agenda. I found it very interesting, uh, so, and I know you gentlemen did as well, uh, so I'll make sure you have time to make some comments as well. Uh, but this is from uh, the uh, European Union. Let me find the, the website here. Uh, let's see. This is from Europa.eu, Europa.eu, and it is a transcript of uh, the president's speech, president of the EU, and there's some, some statements he made. I propose a positive agenda to help create, as I said last year, a Europe that protects, a Europe that empowers, a Europe that defends. Uh, there's another quote, just a couple paragraphs down where he comments about the growth of the European Union, how he has outstripped that of the United States over the last couple years. It now stands above 2% for the Union as a whole and at 2.2% for the monetary area. So what is Europe's uh, goal? What are Europe's goals? What is Europe's uh, mission? You know, I did want to just mention about, uh, you know, one comment that he, he makes, I think, kind of points to their mission or what they're, they're beginning to kind of focus on in a special way. He says, all of this leads me to believe the wind is back in Europe's sails. We now have a window of opportunity, but it will not stay open forever. Let us make the most of the momentum and catch the wind in our sails. So uh, talking about kind of refocusing, trying to move forward. Um, you, you mentioned before the show, uh, Dr. Scott, that uh, about the, the, the moving forward with a smaller group and allowing a majority to lead versus having to have everybody on board in order to move forward. That certainly would move it forward much faster. I think the question <clears throat> was an interesting one. Um, what is Europe's mission? I think it depends on who you ask. In Europe, we look at Daniel chapter 2, verses 33 through 45, and we see Daniel's vision of this image of Nebuchadnezzar, and he, or excuse me, this, this, this image, and, and these feet with ten toes of iron and clay, uh, depictive of this, this end time European empire. And the idea is that, or the insight here that God gives us through Daniel is that these nations will not adhere very well together. They'll be sort of together, but iron and clay don't stick real well. And that's what we see happening in Europe. We see different ideas and different thoughts. Right now, as Mr. DeSimone was mentioning, uh, one of the powerful clauses in um, the uh, EU prevents the EU from moving forward if just one nation vetoes what, wants, what they want to do. That'll stop a lot of things. And that's why they're happy to have Britain out, because Britain was, was a sticking point on multiple issues. And so if, if they go to a point where it's majority rule, then uh, I believe it's uh, France's president, Mr. Macron, 
said on Tuesday uh, in, in his speech, and he talked about a two-speed Europe again. The idea that you've got this group of nations, Juncker talked about the exact same thing, where you've got a group of nations, maybe the majority, that want to go in a certain direction, and too bad for the other nations behind. They can do what they want to do, but we're going to move forward. And Juncker's agenda for for several years now has been pushing this United States of Europe concept, this, this monetary union, this military union, um, bringing these nations together as one, which is really going to destroy the sovereignty of the nations, but they're going to have to give their power over to a, a unified central government. Right, and the, the nations that want to take the slow path, they don't have a choice. I mean, th they depend on the, the finances. They depend on the infrastructure of uh, the larger countries, the countries that want to move forward, Germany, France, you know, they depend on that. We're going to stay on this topic for a while. Welcome to the program, TW Now. Welcome to the program. We are streaming live over Facebook, YouTube. Uh, please give us your comments. Want to say hello to some uh, people from Ireland. And uh, we're getting questions from all around the, the country, all around the world, and all around the country. Um, one of the uh, news articles that caught my attention, and we're still talking about Europe's agenda, is an article uh, where uh, it's discussing how Europe has banned Monsanto from the European Parliament. I just saw this a few hours before the program today, and the article uh, mentions uh, the, 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 the titles Monsanto banned from European Parliament, and a couple, uh, few paragraphs down, it mentions uh, those who ignore the rules of democracy. So this is the Green Party president, Philippe Lamberts. Uh, he says, those who ignore the rules of democracy also lose their rights as a lobbyist in the European Parliament. Uh, said the Green Party president, Philip Lamberts. U.S. corporations must also accept the democratic control function of the parliament. Monsanto cannot escape this. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't want to get into a big conversation about health and agriculture and GMO and all this, but I'll give credit where credit's due. One of the people who watches the program brought this to my attention a couple weeks ago, and he said, you know, uh, Europe is really taking a different approach than the United States is as it relates to and he went down the list of things, which we're all familiar, GMO. You, it's hard to buy G, genetically modified food in Europe. It's outlawed. Um, vaccina vaccinations, there's a whole list of things. Uh, global warming, they are very much on the side of that. We, we, through mankind's activities, we are affecting uh, the, the temperature and, and so forth of the earth. Uh, the United States is leaning against that. There's a whole list of things. And I do wonder, now we're, we're still talking about Europe's agenda, topic number four, but I do wonder how much Europe's agenda will con conflict more with the United States' agenda, or let, let me phrase it maybe a different way. How much will Europe's personality conflict with the United States' personality? Let's look at it from, uh, 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 let's use a, a, an example or, or an analogy. What if you had two neighbors? And what if you had neighbor number one, neighbor number two? Neighbor number one uh, kept their yard clean and uh, was pretty tidy and so forth. And neighbor number two was dumping trash over in the yard of neighbor number one all the time and uh, playing loud music. Uh, I think that may be a little unfair, but from Europe's point of view, I think they see themselves as the neat and tidy neighbor, and the United States as the neighbor dumping the trash over into the yard. Sure. The seas being wrecked, pollution, disease, things like that. Um, <clears throat> do any of you gentlemen have any, you know, just kind of thoughts on that speculation about how uh, there's a divergence? in personality between the two, the two powers? Well, certainly, uh, you know, the, within the world of globalization and the world of, you know, we can't escape one another. We're neighbors now is kind of the way it is. And the United States, with the power and with the, the prestige that we've had, we have just easily pushed our own ways onto other nations. That's what we've done. And European Union wanting to be a power of its own in that way uh, has different standards, different uh, ideologies of how to deal with its population and so forth. You know, there's an, a, 
it appears that there might be a certain uh, care for its citizens in that way, uh, not having the GMO uh, foods there, getting Mon Mans Monsanto out. Um, and the U.S., at least from what it would appear, uh, all about the almighty dollar. We mentioned earlier, uh, Mr. DeSimone mentioned, I think, the United States and Great Britain and Prophecy booklet. And we're, we're talking about Bible prophecy here. And Bible prophecy makes it very clear that at the end of the age, the Israelite descended nations, for the most part, are, are going to be separated off from and actually pitted against this coming European beast power. Uh, and, and you can see it beginning to happen. Here you have two large entities in the world, sort of world-impacting entities, uh, Europe and, and the United States, and they've both sat at the same table in the past, and they've both signed the same treaties, and they've signed the same agreements, and now you have the United States backing out of these things that it said it would do. Uh, how does that look? How, what kind of a, 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 an opinion does that create of the United States, of the U.S. government, of the U.S. peoples? There has to be division, though. And that's what Bible prophecy right. lets us know. Things like this have to happen. We're, we're probably going to see more of this, not only with the United States, not only the United States and Europe, not only with the United States and Britain, uh, but the United States and other of the US, or of the British-descended nations as well. I think people have often wondered, how can Europe get to a point where they hate hmm. modern Jacob so much that Jeremiah 30, verse 7 comes to pass? Jeremiah 30, verse 7 says, you know, woe, uh, the day is great, it's the time of Jacob's trouble, uh, you know, there's, there's no day like it, um, uh, but he will be saved out of it. And that's speaking of what we refer to biblically as the time of the great tribulation, a time of Jacob's trouble, which we identify through the Bible, modern Jacob as being the United States and Britain, the Israelitist nations. And I think many, many people have wondered, how is it that... Uh, that that the king of the north, Europe, can get to a point where it hates modern Jacob so much. There's a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 5, that talks about Assyria being the rod of God's anger, Isaiah 10, verse 5. And, you know, God um, wants us to take care of the earth, but I think God's a lot more um, unhappy, upset with modern Jacob's sins when it comes to idolatry and breaking the Ten Commandments, defiling the Sabbath, defiling the Institute of Marriage, getting rid of God, getting rid of God everything. out of the schools, yeah. just 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 thumbing our nose at mm -hmm. God collectively as nations. I mean, go down the list, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you 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 begin. I don't know where you begin and end, but but it's t kicking the Bible out of schools, the Pledge of Allegiance out of schools, homosexual agenda. Um, you know, porn, pornography, drugs, uh, you know, there, there's a whole list of things. And the world reviles us for that. Uh, the Muslim nations revile us for a lot of those, those uh, sins. And I, and I think that Europe's going to revile us more and more, maybe for some of this ecological stuff. But it's, it's interesting, though. You, you look at uh, North Korea. North Korea is being referred to as a rogue nation. Mm -hmm. Yet, Many nations in the world are now seeing the United States as potentially a rogue nation. Who are they? Are they going to go off and nuke North Korea? We're going to go off and do things now unilaterally as a nation where we've done things with our allies in the past. And now we're getting to the point where we're saying, okay, right. we're going to do it. You can come with us if you want, but if you don't want to, we're going to do it anyway. Uh, what do you do with, with a loose cannon kind of nation like that? Is that partly uh, what will provoke. Sure. Will, will, I mean, it's ironic, isn't it? But will Europe get to a point where they see the United States as the loose cannon nation? I know that's kind of what you're saying. Yeah, but, that, right, right. You know, right. we look at, at North Korea as a loose cannon, but I think a lot of our American friends and Canadian friends that are watching the program right now, you know, we don't think of the United States as the loose cannon nation. There's a quote from uh, Juncker. He said, trade is about exporting our standards, mm -hmm. be they social or environmental mm -hmm. standards, data protection or food safety requirements. Sure. If we're trading something they don't want to trade mm -hmm. with, it's going to be a problem. It is. It's developing into a problem. I mean, there, there is a divergence there. I did want to uh, bring up a scripture that talks about what you were talking about, all the sins that, that, that we have. And it's not—I it, it, I like this scripture because it's 
saying it's not just the sins. Mankind has always sinned. This is in Leviticus uh, 26, verse 15. He's saying, uh, verse 14, but if you do not obey uh, me and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments, and that is what we as a nation are coming to do. It's not just the sinning, it's not just the falling short, it's rejecting God in every way, pushing him out of the schools, pushing him out of the courts, pushing him out of the government, hating him, going against him, spewing that around the world in that way. Uh, if you despise my statutes, and abhor my judgments. Well, another piece of that, which begins to bring us full circle here, is looking at the rulers and the leadership. And we have more and more leaders who are in it for themselves and not in it for the people anymore. As a nation, the United States and much of the West has, has pointed at nations with dictators over, over the, the decades and, and centuries and said, wait a second, these, these people are in it for themselves. Ezekiel chapter 34 talks about primarily ministers, but it's, it's, the concept can be referred to or can be used to refer to leaders at the end of the age as well who, who make themselves fat on, on the backs of the people. And so we see leadership today in many of our Western nations, British-descended nations, who are very much in it for themselves. Uh, they're, they're not in it for their constituents. They're in it for their, themselves and their cronies to take advantage of the opportunity that they have now. But it, it leaves the people in the wake. It's not righteous leadership. And uh, we will have righteous leadership in the future when Christ returns. And then you will have, you know, the aspirations of the United Nations. Those will, those will come to pass. We're not wrapping up quite yet, but I, I want to mention this booklet to, to everybody, a Revelation, the Mystery Unveiled. And there's a chart inside the booklet, and I'd like us to put that chart up on the screen. So it's, it's, it's a very helpful, very helpful chart, the Seven Seals of Revelation. A lot of what we're talking, and leave that up on the screen for just a second, a lot of what we're talking about on the program today is prophetic, and it leads up to the, the, the Great Tribulation, the Day of the Lord. And I would like to really encourage all of our viewers to request this booklet, Revelation, the Mystery Unveiled, and to review this chart. Uh, we talk about these prophetic events. Uh, you, you don't have to be overwhelmed or intimidated uh, by, by what is prophesied. Uh, you can understand uh, what will happen in the years to come. And um, I think that this booklet is very helpful in putting things into a framework. We are not yet uh, into this, you know, into this uh, chart. And we've got the fifth seal, martyrdom and great tribulation, Revelation chapter 6. Uh, this uh, parallels the time of Jacob's trouble. What Jesus Christ talked about is a time so terrible that you know none would be like it before or after. Um, so, I, you know, we need to start wrapping up. But for those of you who are listening to the program uh, and your interest is piqued about what's coming prophetically, I would point you to this booklet, and it will help people understand. I think how these news e uh, events are aligning toward what the Bible says is going to happen in the years to come. Mm -hmm. Thoughts, comments, additional, additional comments? Sure. One is, as we understand the, uh, the fifth seal, the tribulation portion uh, of the seal, uh, it, uh, it's the two-and-a-half-year period before the final events, the final year, which is the Day of the Lord, which is the seven trumpets that will be blown. And, of course, we just kept the, the Feast of Trumpets we talked about. It was last, uh, last Thursday. Um, they help us understand. Uh, we see the sixth trumpet uh, on the chart is 200 million man army, and that is what we've been talking about today. This is, this is, these are all the things that are gonna, going to come to pass uh, in the next however many years, not too far away. I think I referenced, uh, it's up on the screen right now, that there's the sixth plague in the day of the Lord. You can see that toward the bottom of the screen. The Euphrates is dried up, and there's a reference to Revelation 16. Um, you know, these are details that the Bible reveals that we see world events aligning in such a way where it really brings 
this to life. We, we, we talk, talked about the Silk Road and trade and so forth, and uh, all of these things are aligning with what Scripture has always, has always taught. So it's, it's, it's sobering, but I think, Dr. Scott, you really said it well, um, who is ultimately in control and sovereign? And when you see these events sort of heading this direction, mm-hmm. it actually should give us hope. I mean, we're told, Christ says that we should lift up our, our, our eyes, our redemption draws near when we see right. these events starting to unfold. Yeah, Christ is the one who, you remember the uh, disciples asked him uh, right before the end of his ministry, they said, how are we going to know when you're going to return? And so Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, all three authors recorded some of the same events, but he gave the signs at the end of the age. He said, these are what you should look for. And then he said, watch, (laughs) so you're not caught unaware. And so we really do have things that we can watch and we can look for. Some of these are going to be just terrifying and catastrophic events. It's going to be a, a, a sad time for world affairs, and that's a, that's a huge understatement. At the same time, this book of Revelation is not an allegory, and it's not something that can't be known, so we have to ignore it. it there actually is a lot of clarity that the book of Revelation, combined with Daniel and, and some of the other prophecies, helps us see and can make these end-time events much more easy to understand. So yeah, I would encourage you to um, get a copy of the booklet. You can get it online. You can listen to it online. But actually, the chart is helpful to look at. And then it's backed up with Scripture and with, with other information that really helps it make a lot of sense, and it's not difficult to understand. I think with that, we probably need to bring the show to a close. I thank everybody for joining us. I ask you to uh, join us uh, every Thursday at 3 o'clock. Uh, we are coming up on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which will be this Saturday. Uh, I encourage uh, everyone, it's one of God's uh, holy days, a very holy day, and I encourage people who may not understand fully what it is to go to our website and type, type in Day of Atonement. Uh, next week, we'll be celebrating and keeping the Feast of Tabernacles, which is uh, uh, one of God's seven annual holy days or festivals and points toward the millennium. A time of peace and prosperity. Uh, we will have a special program for you next Thursday, a brief program, so uh, join us for that. I want to thank Dr. Scott Winnell and Mr. Mike DeSimone. I want to thank you all for joining us. ask you to tune in every Thursday at 3 o'clock. And until then, we wish you well, and we'll see you next Thursday at 3 o'clock.